the story of redemption is in the book of Genesis. You might not know that, like Abraham doesn't know to call the one who he's known as redeemer is Jesus, but he's believing by faith and in that. So I think that's the encouraging thing is that like, if people read the scriptures and they read them with open, like open hearts and you're praying that the Holy Spirit will move, he can use any scripture to bring someone to himself. It doesn't have to be Isaiah 53, right? Which is like kind of the go-to Romans road. It doesn't have to be. <laughs> it might be a passage about flower, but um, <laughs> it, it could be lots of different things. But I think, it, for, so for me, being able to be in an environment that is not Christian for part of my life, it prompts me to pray. It prompts me to see the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and also, yes, it does show me the beauty of the of the scriptures, of like how much you really can know about who God is if you just study the scripture. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 229. I'm your host, Mike Neglia, and the voice that you just heard is that of Susie Silk. Susie serves on the pastoral team of Church of the City, New York, alongside John Tyson and some other great leaders. She is a deep well of wisdom and thoughtfulness, particularly, but not exclusively, concerning the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament, and I'm excited for you to be able to listen in on this conversation about the difference between like a clumsy and sloppy use of the Old Testament to point towards Christ and what she's advocating for, which is a more careful, thoughtful, and theocentric use of the first half of the Bible that leads towards the Lord Jesus. Before I go, I just want to say that our next in-person training event is on October 14th and 15th in Boise, Idaho. Find out more details and register at expositorscollective.com. Hope to see you there. And now I'm going to get out of your way and listen to this great conversation with Susie Silk. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast. We have a returning guest. Um, welcome back, Susie Silk. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me back. It's good. Well, the first one went so good and actually got some really good positive feedback. So I thought, you know what? How about another? <laughs> I love that. So, you know, uh, I'm in the show notes, people can link back to your other one and they can hear the story of your introduction to ministry, first time teaching in public and, and all that kind of stuff. I want to talk to you about like maybe the more like academic side of your life and the interest that you've had in like studying the, the Old Testament um, or the Hebrew scriptures. And could you maybe just yeah tell us about like what prompted that interest that you have? and even academic study of the Old Testament. Yeah, so I may have mentioned this in the last podcast, but I grew up in a church that did a really excellent job teaching the Old Testament. And when I was in middle school, Sunday school class, I had a Sunday school teacher who taught us that every part of the Bible points to Jesus. And so she encouraged us to look at the Hebrew scriptures, look at the Old Testament through that lens. Um, we even spent one summer where we studied every item in the tabernacle and how that points to Jesus. And I actually still have those notes. And still have a picture of the diagram that she used. And so that that shaped me. And going into high school, similar thing, did a whole study of the life of David um, when I was in high school, again, with my Sunday school class. And that was when I was first introduced to one of my favorite characters in the Bible, Obed-Edom. And then that just continued on. And I also grew up with some relatives that were Jewish and grew up in a Jewish environment. And so that also felt familiar to me, like the Jewish holidays weren't so far away from me. 
Um, and so then, yeah, after college, I got a chance to live overseas in the Holy Lands for part of the time and just like loved it, fell in love with that, fell in love with just seeing the the Old Testament taking place in, in real time, like real life and, and practicing all the Jewish holidays. And, you know, so the middle section of the book of John came alive to me mm. and started learning Hebrew. And then after that, I moved to New York City and then decided to pursue a degree in Bible and ancient Semitic languages from Jewish Theological Seminary. Wow. What a, what a treat to hear about like middle school and that your, your, your classes were going through such a, one could say, obscure part, yeah. part of the Bible and um, obviously done in such a way that was kind of an enthralling and like an, an interesting um, way that, that kind of sparked this interest that's carried you through up until now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, still Leviticus is one of my favorite books, the Bible. I mean, I know I'm w- weird that way, unusual, but, but again, yeah, like I said, it started when I was a, a preteen. Wow. That's, that's great. Who, what, what was that Sunday school teacher's name? Let's, let's honor that person. Yes. Her name is Jessica Stewart. Yeah. Um, she's still alive. She's living in North Carolina and she still teaches the Bible. Wow. Uh, and I got to see her a couple of years ago. I was down in North Carolina and she had actually found the like diagram, you know, the larger print diagram of the tabernacle and she signed it and handed it to me. So I have it in my office in my apartment and it's just amazing. So, but she was such an inspiration to me. She would talk about sometimes her grandmother who had taught her the scriptures and how her grandmother has just a desire to like see young people know the Bible. And then Jessica told all of us, like we were the fulfillment of her grandmother's desires. And I still feel like that when I preach the Old Testament, I'm like, I'm just continuing the legacy of these women who Mm. taught the scriptures. And I think for me, that has made studying the Old Testament, it's so integrated into who I am. Like that the stories of the Bible, it's like they, they live in my imagination and how I understand the scriptures is shaped by that. Yeah. So it got in me somehow at a young age. It sure did. Yeah. Well, it's good. Yeah. Good to, to honor that woman. So that's, that's great that for you as a junior higher, kind of seeing the interconnectedness of, of both Testaments. Uh, for myself, and I don't know, maybe a lot of the people that are listening to this, that's kind of a kind of a later discovery um, to see that, you know, the Bible doesn't start with a bunch of just like, inner, you know, disconnected, cute stories. And then all of a sudden this guy, Jesus shows up and then the ball really gets rolling. Um, that for me was kind of a later discovery. And, um, and then I got really into it and really discovered, you know, what's called the Christ-centered hermeneutic and really into the redemptive historical and all that kind of stuff. And I get really excited to see uh, there's a, a, I think a book was written talking about like, you know, Christ on every page, or there's the idea of like seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. I wonder if you, who probably spent a lot of time thinking about this, like, do you think that there's like sloppy or irresponsible ways that Christian preachers um, highlight the the Messiah through the pages of the Old Testament? That's a great question. Well, I think first of all, like part of this whole study is, is understanding the Trinity, right? And uh, I'm teaching class right now in our church about the Trinity. And so it's made me think about that, all the assumptions we have of like, Jesus just showed up partway through human history. And I, I think, so part of it is understanding like the how we see the Trinity and the whole all the scriptures and that begins to sort of shape and change how you see some things. But yeah, I think some sloppy ways I've seen it are not understanding the function of prophecy in the old Testament and that prophecy can be messianic and it can also be about the present, right? So perfect example is like the virgin shall give birth to a son and she'll call him Emmanuel. 
it's about Isaiah's time, but it's also about the future time of the Messiah. And so I think that that sometimes gets lost is like people pull out the messianic prophecy and apply it just to Jesus. And then they forget that it also had a meaning in its own time period. Um, that of course creates a challenge when you're talking to um, other people who see the Old Testament differently. So like if you're talking to a Jewish person and you've only ever read that text as messianic and you don't also see it functioning in its own time period, um, that can be challenging. The other thing that I see that's sloppy, and I know some people will disagree with me on this, is how people perceive the law. Okay. There's a very common way of seeing it as like, this is ceremonial, this is legal. I don't think that Leviticus and Exodus and Deuteronomy are constructed that way. I don't think that they have those clear categories. And so sometimes Christians do that in order to, because they don't really want to wrestle with the text or they don't know like how to move it forward into the present. And so a common thing that has happened to me at different points in time is people will be like, wait, you're celebrating the Jewish holidays. Like, isn't that maintaining the law? And like, we're free from the law to which I always quote the Sermon on the Mount. I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, right? So I think one of the other sloppy ways that gets used is we don't really understand how to deal with the legal code. So unfortunately, the prophetic, sometimes we don't know how to handle that. And sometimes the legal code, we don't know how to handle that, um, which leaves you with the narratives. <laughs> sure. But, and also too, like the law and the prophets, that's yeah. pretty important. <laughs> um, and if there's mistakes on those two foundational things, so... Yeah. So I don't, I'm not saying all prophecy is, is used wrongly, but I do think it can get messy. So, and then again, legal code. I, 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 again, I think that people, they don't know how to manage it. They don't know how to move it forward in time, but then also it's almost like seen the wrong way because of this idea of like, well, we're free from the law. Okay. Couple thoughts. One, you're a Gentile. So that happened in Acts 15, the Jerusalem council. That's probably different if you're a Jewish believer and how you relate to legal code and culture is probably very different. So I've had lots of conversations with friends who are Jewish believers, some of whom are Messianic, some who just identify as Christian, who it's a very different kind of conversation. The other thing is that sometimes because we call it like the law, we translate Torah as law instead of Torah as instruction. We see it as this like list of do's and don'ts, right? Versus you have a people who were enslaved for hundreds of years, who God is trying to give them a new culture. And he's trying to give them practices to behave and interact with each other. He's mm -hmm. also trying to give them early medicine, which we forget. We see things as like, oh my goodness, a woman's on her period and she has to go sit in a tent. Well, they're wandering and they don't have water sources. And how are they supposed to stop contamination, right? There's a whole chapter in Leviticus that I love. That's all about like, what do you do if there's a skin disease on the side of your tent? Which people are like, wow, why is this there? Let's mm -hmm. throw it out. To mm -hmm. me, I'm like, God cares about the status of your house. Mm. Like he wants to take care of you. He doesn't want his people who got pulled out of slavery to die in the desert because they've got some skin disease ravaging all of their homes and now they have no place to live. Like to me, it'd be like, you go to New England and you're showing someone how to handle their shingles or like, this is how to improve the leak in your, your roof. So I think that's part of it is like, we, we have this misunderstanding. So then we bring that back into the text as opposed to saying, Hey, like this is God was speaking to these people in their culture and their context. And for me, that changes everything. Hmm. Like there's a, there's a fascinating little verse and uh, I wish I could tell you which one it is. It's in the, um, it's in the beginning of Leviticus. It's all of these law codes about sacrifices. And it's in the, one of the ones that's about like atonement and blood sacrifices. 
So you guys can all find it. It's in the first part of what I guess I can't remember the That's exact That's the sound part. of everyone turning their pages right now. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry. And I don't want to like look it up and like cause all clicking on the computer. But I was learned this from one of my professors. It goes through and it says all the different size animals you can sacrifice based on how much money you have. And then it says like turtle doves. And then it says, or you can give flour. And this is one of my professors at Jewish Theological Seminary. He's conservative. He was trained as a rabbi, He's but he's an academic, doesn't believe in Jesus, right? So he's not coming from it from that lens. But he's like, isn't it amazing that like the sacrifice that's required is blood, but in some sort of unbelievable way, God can credit it as if it's blood, but it's flour. And I'm sitting in class going, he credited it to him as righteousness. You know, like I can't say that. I'm not going to say that out loud. It'd be disrespectful. But in the middle of Leviticus, a tiny little law about like, if you don't have enough money, you can give flour. It goes to show that it's not magical. It's not actually the blood. Mm. Mm. It's not actually the blood of goats and which we see in the New Testament. Yeah. Causes someone, you know, forgiveness of sins. It's what God credits to them. But you would miss that if you weren't paying attention to these. And that's everybody reads the beginning of Leviticus so fast. It's like, but this man who spent his lifetime studying the scriptures, yeah. not a believer in Jesus, sees this detail and he's like, this is fascinating. So, anyways, that's for me, it, it changes everything. The way that you handle the old testament, you see it in its original context. Uh, you try to figure out what God was saying to those people at that time. How did these laws, how these prophecies function then? Um, it, it, it really changes the way you see it. And then you can go into the New Testament and see how Paul's using it. You can see how Matthew's using it. How is Jesus using it? And then everything comes alive. Wow. Okay. A, a thought on skin diseases and then a follow-up yes. thing. Um, so I'm in kind of our church office or ministry space and we have a, a Wednesday night prayer meeting. So last night we had our prayer time and we have a whiteboard over there where we write down the prayer requests and then pray together. And one of them, I wish I could like angle the can, cam, angle the camera and show you, but that's actually bad podcasting. <laughs> um, the, on there, it's we were praying for someone's someone's skin, someone's like eczema. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, someone has like the skin skin issue and like asked if we could pray for it. And that was one of the things that almost kind of came up in some of the prayers. Thank you, God, that you care about like even these small things like skin. Yes. And fascinating to hear from you that this is not a new development, that he's actually cared about this for quite a long time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like, yeah, the Lord, the Lord cares about all those details. And, um, and that's beautiful. I think when you see that and do we understand every law in the scriptures? No, of course mm. we don't understand mm. why he doesn't want us to mix fabrics, right? Like, or I say us, but he didn't want the, the ancient Israelites to mix sure. fabrics. We don't totally get that. We don't understand why the stones for the altars couldn't be cut and like, right. you know, things like that. But that's where we have to just say, okay, maybe in that time period, this meant something to them or it was too difficult or whatever. And I and get that, but we can still say like, God cared about this and God might care about it now. And, and so I think it's, it's really about reading the Old Testament to know the character of God, um, okay. to know the story he's telling, to understand the covenants and what you've been brought into, even if every tiny little detail you can't understand, you know, but we can search it and, and try to understand it. Yeah. And some of these things, as we even progress, I don't know, medically, technically, like we're going to understand things more. Right. And then maybe some of them, as we progress and get farther and farther away from that culture, the, the odds of kind of uncovering the hidden meaning kind of gets gets less. So yeah, for sure. We're uniquely positioned for advantage and then simultaneously disadvantaged for, for some of these yeah. things. Yeah. But yeah, so like I kind of discovered this, you know, this Christ-centered preaching or, or seeing kind of the Old Testament as this pointer towards Messiah. And then I went through a stage where I, and a lot of, a lot of preachers, when they first discover this, where it's just like, everything is pointing towards, you know, like, uh, you know, the, the, 
this flour is a substitute for the blood. Oh, well, that points to the the bread that he held. You know, this is my body. This is my, you know, like like making these like these these jumps. Or I, I think Brian Chapel called it like um hopscotching to Golgotha, where it's just like there's a verse that reminds me of something else, and then boom, we're at the cross. And uh, good impulse, I think, but but maybe you would say there's more responsible ways to point towards Jesus the Messiah rather than every single thing is like one step away from the cross and resurrection. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, yeah. So it, it, part of it is your audience, right? So for sometimes like you and I could just have that conversation about the flower mm-hmm. and be like, Oh, it's imputed righteousness. <laughs> yeah. And then we have a whole context in our mind of like, we understand what we mean by this. And like, so of course, like if I'm talking to someone who has no concept of that, then I have to say, oh, it's credit to him as righteousness. I have to sort of like walk the rest of the text out, right? But what I'm not really, I'm not taking it out of context, right? And I mean, even better because the person who taught me this doesn't actually believe in Jesus. But, um, you know, I, I'm not taking that text out of context. I'm looking at it in its original context. And then I'm showing how this speaks about the character of God. And then if I need to spell it out, I can say like, this is how we see this character of God explained in the New Testament. But yeah, I, I think in some ways, like, do you feel like when you preach about the life of David that you have to hopscotch through the text when you preach about Moses or Abraham, do you have to hopscotch? Or is it more like, hey, this is what we learn about this relationship that David or Moses or Abraham had with God. And maybe we then understand the covenant that they're in. And then that helps us to understand the type of covenant that we are in with God. I think that's a little bit more of a reasonable way to do it. I also think like, yeah, prophecy or an image of a flower, you don't want it to be like seven degrees of of Kevin Bacon, what we say in the US of like all of these (laughs) ways that you got back to Kevin Bacon, all these ways that you got back to Jesus. Um, I think it's again, more about the story more about the character of God. And that's going to be consistent throughout time. And so that's what I care about is, is like, who is God? How do I understand who God is based on this old Testament text? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's how I'm always able to get to Jesus, but I'm not forcing it to try to get back to Golgotha. I'm just saying, Hey, he's always been here. He's always been the same. Hmm. Like we are invited into a relationship with a covenant making and covenant keeping God. So that's how I can see that. Okay. so. And again, I'm just, I'm filtering through, I'm just thinking through all the, all the early well-intentioned sermons that I, that I was doing, you know, of, um, you know, getting, uh, was it, um, was it, was it Leah or Rachel uh, who got the water for the camels? I'm kind of exposing my ignorance. Oh, Rebecca. Okay. Ooh. Yeah. So you have okay. a hard time Thank remembering you. what chapter of Leviticus. I have a hard time remembering a major character in Genesis. <laughs> so we are not the same. We are not the same. Right. But you know, like thinking about that, and you know, oh, and the the, the camels were thirsty, and you know, and Jesus thirsted oh. on the cross. Um, or you know, or all of us have a, a deep satisfying need that that um, we need someone to provide it for us. And you know, Jesus at a well, he provided the water for somebody else. And and making these kind of like almost like word associations to to get to the the part of the sermon where I talk about Jesus, which I, th- I think is a vital and important part of the, of the sermon. But it sounds like if I, and you can correct me if I'm understanding you wrong, but like, so you're saying like all of the Hebrew scriptures, or the Bible is pointing us towards the character of God and Jesus of Nazareth, like is the character of God, like in incarnate. And so it's pointing us towards God who is Jesus, you know, along with the Holy Spirit. And so is, are are you kind of more like theocentric than Christocentric? 
Yeah, no, I mean, I guess yes and, and no. So like in your Rebecca example, I would... Sorry, this is a little bit... You sort of hand me a, a softball, but like... Did I? Rebecca, <laughs> I would look at I would look at the women in the well. Why? Okay. Because it is a typecast, okay. right? Like okay. in the Old Testament, a woman at a well is like a repeated image, right? So we have... Um, Moses is why we have Rebecca. Then we have Moses going to a well. Then we have a woman at a well. So actually the New Testament writer in the way that he's setting it up is trying to make us think about those other stories. So that's not, not even like a stretch. It's like, okay. okay, this is, this is the story of Rebecca. Hey guys, I want you to know, like in the writer of the New Testament, they knew this story so well. So they set up Jesus in the exact same story. Let's compare these two. How does Jesus function like Abraham's servant? How is he not? And, and then, yeah, but I wouldn't, that, that would be the connection for me, or it would be like, it just depends on what the Rebecca sermon's about. If Rebecca's sermon's about like, wow, the Lord used a woman in a powerful way. She flipped up upside down the matriarch patriarch role. This is why we see God empowering women back in the old Testament, even at that time. And actually, you know what? God continues to do that. Jesus in his life and ministry and had women who followed him, who broke the rules. Mary sat at his feet, Mary Magdalene, like Jesus sees you. Like if you're a woman and you've been discounted by the world, like the Lord sees you, he has a calling on your life. Does that make sense? So like, for me, it's, it's always like, this is, this is the character of God. This is how Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Got it. Yeah. This is how we live as his people. Yeah. So more so the well is the connection point to the character of God more than the thirsty camel reminds us of the, the savior who thirsted upon the cross. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason I would do that is because because the writer in the New Testament, that's the, that's, it's the Got type, it. right? It's yeah. a, it's a common motif, but as the, as Christians, we don't always know that it's a common motif, but like when you start to study the old Testament, certain images come up over and over again. So that's how I would do it. Okay. Well, thanks. For, <laughs> I, I, we didn't prep for that. I, I just thought of it on the spot and you, you handled it very, very well. Um, how, how can like preachers improve in this? Like you, you kind of have highlighted that there's certain motifs, there's certain images, how like, is there a list somewhere that we should know about? Or I have a feeling you're probably just going to say, you just got to read the book over and over again to kind of notice them. Is that it? Um, no, I mean, there are, there's definitely like scholarship out there, right? Like you could, you can read commentaries, um, really good Bible commentaries should say that in the side. Uh, but yes, of course, if you read things over and over again, part of it though, too, is like, when you talked about like connecting and hopscotching, it's not completely off because in the, in like sort of Jewish texts, they look for these patterns, right? They, they look for um, the, a word that's only used three times in the scripture. So for example, if you were to look at the um, Masoretic notes for the Old Testament, like the, the empty of the Hebrew Bible on the side, it'll say like uh, in the notes, like how many times certain words are used because the Masoretes paid attention. So like if one word is only used three times in the Old Testament, they connect all the texts together and they ask what's similar between these texts. Also, like I said, certain imagery is repeated over and over again, certain story types, right? Like the man who pretends that his wife is his sister, right? We can all think of that one that happens three times. So I, I think that that's, it is helpful to know those, like those repeated patterns. And yeah, some of it is you just read the Bible a lot but I've also found it particularly helpful to study in, in Jewish environments and, and read from rabbis. Like, so Rashi, Rambam, Ibn Ezra, they will chart a lot of these things. And the amazing thing for living right now is so many of them are translated into English. Back in the day, you had to know Hebrew to read Rashi. You don't anymore. There's a website, alhatorah.org, A-L-H-A, Torah, T-O-R-A-H.org. And you can go there. You can look up any text. 
it'll pull up like eight to 10 different rabbis. They're not all translated in English. It's like an open source. They're starting to translate them. And you can look and see what Rashi thought, what Ramam thought, what Ibn Ezra thought. And some of these were like, they're just like some of the scholars of the middle ages that started doing all this kind of work. And so I find that really helpful to like read the rabbinic commentary and things because they will make these connections. They'll have these patterns. And then of course the, 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 job for us is then to make the next jump into the New Testament, which some of the writers of the New Testament do. There's also a a couple different scholarly works out there by Jewish academics who specialize in the New Testament where you can read a bunch of these things online. So I think one of them is um, the Jewish annotated New Testament. Yeah. Uh, Amy Jill Levine. Yeah. She's retiring soon, actually. She has another book coming out soon. Okay. Yeah. I recently audiobooked the the Bible with and without Jesus yeah. from her, which was for, uh, for me, let me, my first Jewish book that I've read or that I've had read to me. And yes. it was, it was really interesting to, to really reconsider even those, the passages about, you know, Isaiah seven and these other things that, that have, have, have layers to them. And, and, you know, Amy is very uh, informed even of the cr- Christian understanding of them and yet is unconvinced. And right. so it was interesting to listen and then to have kind of imaginary conversations in my head afterwards. But um, yeah, is that actually, so, so transitioning into the, kind of the next thing. So I know that in your academic studies, you're, you're surrounded by like, um, you know, dozens of Amy Levine's, you know, or dozens of, of these types of very educated, um, very Torah fluent or very Tanakh fluent people. And what's it like being a, a follower of Jesus in that type of academic learning environment? Yeah, I mean, I chose it. I love it. I, I chose to go to Jewish Theological Seminary. I think it's an excellent institution. It's the conservative seminary, or it's the seminary for the conservative movement in the U.S., um, but it has both an academic study wing and it has rabbinic cantorial and it has Jewish educators and so on. I'm, I'm a big fan of them. I've rep them many times and recruited for them. So <laughs> I love JTS, but I actually, I really love it. I love being in an environment where a couple of things happen. One, I'm not the pastor. So I'm not the, the expert in the room, which I think is such a gift when you're a pastor to like get in an environment where not everybody's looking to you for the answers. Number two, I love being a fish out of water. I like love being in a different cross-cultural experience and to see how other people read the scriptures. And then the third thing is it exposes me to a whole different set of scholars, a whole nother way of thinking, a whole history around the canon of the, of the Hebrew scriptures. And so I've loved that. I've loved like getting exposed to Midrash and Talmud and like I said, all these rabbinic thinkers and then also modern scholars um, and their conversations. And so it's, it's a gift. I think it sharpens me. I think that I, like I shared with the example of the flower, I get a lot out of it. Even if like the conclusion I come to is slightly different than the person who's teaching it or saying it, I, I learn a lot. Also, I'm, I'm forced to grapple with different questions, you know, because I think when for modern Jewish people, they have to apply the Tanakh to their life, right? We as, as, as Christians, Gentiles kind of get to go through the New Testament and do something different. Right. And so to watch them wrestle and figure out how to apply into their mom culture is, is really beautiful and insightful. And, and I love the Jewish holidays. They're just amazing. So, but it does, it does lead to fascinating conversations. I've been asked before, like how do Christians handle like snake healing? Which I was like, wow, you found the one verse in the new Testament that I have no, I don't know what to do with. And yeah, it's just, it's really uh, fascinating conversations. So well, yeah, it it is. It's well, yeah. It's nice to be off duty or or whatever to to not be the pastor in the room. Um, yeah, 
uh, I've recently started like visiting the Anglican cathedral in my, in my town for even song on Sundays. And I think that's the thing that I enjoy the most. It's just like, okay, if something goes wrong, not my problem. And if, and I'm just here as a, as a, as a participant and I really, I really enjoy it. It's something I really need these days is to just be there. Now, again, you're doing a, a doctorate. You're not as nearly as relaxed um, when you're at JTS as when I'm like sitting in the back row of Evensong being like, oh, this is great. You're working really hard and I'm not. But I think there's that benefit of like, I'm not in charge. This is nice. Yes. Yes. And I and I have gotten an occasionally guest teach there too, which is also really fun. Like just to be teaching in a totally different religious environment and academic environment and and answering the questions differently. And yeah, it's just, it's delightful. I really, I really enjoy it. And, and I get to see how other people handle the text, you know, and I, I think that's, that's important for like our understanding of the scriptures. It's important for our conversations in a, in a multi-religious environment. So yeah, yeah but, but obviously there's a part of me that like, I, I believe Jesus is the Messiah, right? Like I, I believe that I believe that this, that the scriptures really do point to that. Obviously I'm in an environment where, you know, I'm, people don't believe me and they don't agree with me and I, I need to be respectful and, 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 and understand that. But, um, you know, there's a part of me that has to wrestle with that too, of like, wow, they, they have a really different interpretation than I do. Like when you use the example of Amy Jill Levine, it's like, oh yeah, she's going to come to a different conclusion than I will. Um, but, but it's fun to be in the conversation, I guess. Yeah. Well, speaking of like conversations, like, are there any examples or there or elsewhere of, of, you know, speaking with faithful, you know, Jewish Tanakh believers and mm-hmm. maybe drawing some of those connections pointing towards the new Testament, the new covenant. Yeah. I mean, yes, I, I have friends who are believers in Jesus, who are Jewish, who come from Jewish backgrounds or who are still like practicing who are messianic. So it definitely happens. I think that it's one of those examples though, of like the Holy spirit has to open our eyes to know who Jesus is. And, and Paul even talks about that. He says that there's a veil that covers the reading of the law of Moses that until it's removed in Christ, like we can't really see him. And so, um, I think being in an environment where people are studying the Bible all the time, and this can happen too, if you're in a secular school that's studying the Bible, it is fascinating. That's like the word of God and it does speak but also the Holy Spirit has to open the eyes of our hearts so that we can understand the scripture. And I've seen that true for people who are Jewish, for people who are Muslim, for people who have like secular backgrounds. It's like at some point, the Holy Spirit has to open up their the eyes of their hearts so they can actually see it. And, and, then, and then it can potentially come, all come alive, but it doesn't necessarily have to be just through the New Testament. It can happen purely through the Hebrew scriptures. You know, I've seen people just like come to know Jesus through the Hebrew scriptures, but again, it, it has to be that the spirit opens their eyes. Hmm. So, yeah, hearing about someone coming to know Jesus from the Hebrew scriptures, like my first thought is like, I want to know what verses, like what, what is the, what's the old Testament Romans road, you know, to yeah. that, that works. Yeah. But then I also want to remember what you said just a moment before that, that it's, it's a work of the spirit and lighting, enlightening the eyes. And there's so there's a million things happening. And, but yeah, that's, that's a encouraging thing to, to hear. Yeah. Yeah. When I lived overseas, I mean, there was times when I was asked by people from various religious backgrounds, like, you know, uh, teach me Genesis, right? Like teach me. And, and the thing is like the, the, the story of redemption is in the book of Genesis. Like you might not know that like Abraham doesn't know to call the one who he's known as redeemer is Jesus, but mm-hmm. he's believing by faith and, and in, in that. So I think that's the encouraging thing is that like, 
if people read the scriptures and they read them with open, like open hearts and you're praying that the Holy Spirit will move, he can use any scripture to bring someone to himself. Um, it doesn't have to be Isaiah 53, right? Which is like kind of the go-to Romans yeah. road. Yeah. Um, it doesn't <laughs> yeah. have to be. <laughs> it might be a passage about flower, but it, it could be lots of different things. But I, I think it, for, so for me, being able to be in an environment that is not Christian for part of my life, it prompts me to pray. It prompts me to see the power of the Holy Spirit. And also, yes, it does show me the beauty of the, of the scriptures of like how much you really can know about who God is if you just study the scripture. But part of it is faith, you know, choosing to, to receive Jesus by faith. Yeah. Yeah. And you kind of to, to follow up on that Holy Spirit element or ingredient in this, in our, in our earlier conversation from last year, uh, you and I had a great conversation about like the role of like that the spirit would has spoken to you through dreams in the past, or even like the prophetic utterances of different people in the church of the city community or the, the role of the prayer room, um, or post-service, like all of this, like kind of supernatural element has gone into like your public, like let's say teaching or preaching where you would like, you, I think you said that you would emphasize certain aspects of application sometimes based on a person having a word or having a prophetic kind of insight. Right. Does that work the same way for academic study of the Hebrew scriptures? Um, do you get dreams about interpretations or how, how does that, what's, what's it like in juggling these two aspects? What role does the spirit have as you're writing your doctorate? It's a great question. Um, yeah, the spirit illuminates the text. So I think that's the, that's the most important thing is that obviously there's a piece of academic study that's like reading a commentary and understanding what the scholar says and the scholar says, et cetera. But studying the text itself is spirit-led. Like it, you can do it spirit-led, I think is the point. So for example, let me, I'm trying to, I have a, had a couple of examples this last week. So I'm trying to think of which one is easiest yeah, okay. to do on a podcast. <laughs> okay, so I was so I had to prep this class on the Trinity and it was making me think about the wrestling of Jacob with um, this like angel of the Lord as he's entering the promised land. And he asks um, the angel, like, what is your name? And he says like, you can't know it, right? Like why, basically why do you ask? And then he tells him his name. And then the same story, right? If, cause I was looking at some rabbinic commentaries and I was like, you know, jogging my brain. And I was like, oh, right. The same question, the exact same question is asked by Samson's dad when they're like the angel appears. And this time the angel says like, you can't know because it's too wonderful. And I was like, wonderful. Let me check that Hebrew word. It's Pele. Oh, it is Pele. Okay. That's important because Pele shows up in wonderful counselor, almighty father, everlasting father, prince of peace. I was like, oh yeah, this is the, this is the slow revelation of God from like Jacob. You can't quite know my name to Samson. Oh, it's a little bit too wonderful to you for Isaiah. Like wonderful counselor. And I was like, oh, this is beautiful. Like this is God's like revelation of like what he's like. And, and actually it makes sense even from the word that like he's showing himself slowly, right? Which is like what we see with his holy names and like what we see with Sinai and like, you can only see my back, you can't see my front and, and so on until we get to Jesus as the image of the invisible God. And he is the wonderful God in the flesh. So he is the God that like Jacob could only wrestle with and was named by. And yet Samson's father, like kind of gets a glimpse of like what's happening. So, so for me, that's like, 
I think I explained this before. It's like I smell the spirit. It's like I get a scent of something and I start to track it down the the rabbit hole. I'm like a bloodhound on a trail. And that's kind of how I see the scriptures working over and over again. Um, Or the other day to go backwards. Also for this Trinity class, I was reading the book of common prayer about how the answer to the question that Jesus in the ascension um, ascended to the right hand of the father in bodily form. So he brings our human nature into like the heavenly places. And I was like, oh yeah, that's so good. That doesn't just start with like, that actually is Daniel. So I went back into Daniel, the son of man approaches the ancient of days. Like, yes, that's what that image is. The son of man is entering. That's why he's called the son of man in that moment because he's bringing human nature. This is a foretelling of the ascension, which of course is what they talk about in the book of Hebrews. Because what happens in the book of Hebrews, he's our high priest and he has to be in bodily form in the heavens. So we can't believe in an ascension where Jesus just like loses his body. He has to physically be present to fulfill Daniel, but also to be our high priest through the book of Hebrews because he has to be. And then the shocking news of that, like Jesus stays in his physical form. Like he's still bearing his scars. This is unbelievable. And then of course, if you want to go back again, you could say, well, then maybe this argues for the angel of the Lord being a really Christophany and not a theophany, which is my husband's own. Like he loves arguing it's a Christophany and not a theophany. But anyways, so so I just like watched it unfold and I just like pulled the pieces back and I was like, oh, it's the same thing over and over again. So I don't know if anyone else's brain works like this, but that's how mine works. It's like, I can find the piece and then I pull it out and then it connects. And every once in a while, like I'll, I'll see something and I'll be like, maybe this works. Like what was the other example? There was something else the uh, two days ago I saw, Oh, Jesus was saying, it's about the text in John eight with the witnesses. I bear witness. I'm not going to remember, but I just noticed this phrase. And I was like, that is the, Oh, you don't know where I come from. I know where I came from and where I am going, right? And I was like, wait, that's Hagar's question. That's the question that the angel of the Lord asked Hagar. Where, where have you come from? Where are you going? Now I looked at them too. And I was like, I can't tell if there's a connection here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right? This is a good example of like, yeah. I could make it yeah. a connection, but maybe it's just a phrase. Maybe it's just a phrase of like, where do you come from? Where are you going? Yeah. Like, People say that just, phrase. Yeah. Maybe they just say that phrase. In which case, great. They just say that phrase. So I like saw the two. And I didn't know if there's a connection and I wasn't going to force it. But in some of these other things, it's like, oh, it's right here. And I just like follow the spirit, like move through it. So I just, every once in a while, something just sticks out at me or like reminds me of something. And then I, I follow it that way. And I have a friend who started reading the Old Testament a couple of years ago. She had like come back to become a follower of Jesus. And I had told her she should just read the Bible. And she has probably a gift of teaching and evangelism. So I think her brain like works a certain way, but sometimes she'll just knows this phrase and she'll be like, wow, God told David, like he trains even my fingers for battle. She's like, what does that mean that God trains our fingers for battle? Not just my arms, but my fingertips. And, uh, and then she just sits in it for like days. So. So that sounds like a, like what you described like that seems like a spiritual exercise, you know, that you're, it's, you're not busting out the concordance or the Bible dictionary to understand each, each word. Although I, I know that you do, yeah. but you're, you're just allowing like your, your biblically saturated imagination to, to kind of just like see the threads and then, and then you follow those threads up and then look it up and then even have a, a bit of um, self-critique, you know, you'd be like, ah, oh, maybe the Hagar thing isn't as strong as I initially thought it was. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So that does sound like a, a spiritual approach to 
academically understanding uh, the truth of the Hebrew Bible. Is that? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, because it's it's the Holy Spirit's text, and um, like we can't write enough books in the whole world to understand everything Jesus did. Like we can't write enough commentaries like to know every single verse. And so I think for me, it's like a treasure hunt. I'm like, you know, okay, here's a clue. Maybe it leads here. Like, and then I'm just inviting the Holy spirit into it. And I'm just amazed at the beauty of God's word. And, um, but like I said, it, it all, I, I do think to do this well, you need to have, you need to understand the Bible as a whole. You need to understand like doctrine. You need to have sort of covenant covenants and structure and, I remember years ago, like first learning the concept of the mind palace, like, and where everything stores in your mind. And I think about that a little bit with the Bible as like, when I know a verse, I put it in the context of what room it's in and how does it connect to everything else? And that helps me. Right. So then I'm not, you know, committing heresy, so to speak. Yeah, <laughs> I know everything fits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, Susie, this is great. I'm kind of aware of the time. I know you probably have the next meeting to head to, and I have home to go to. So final question, why do you like Obed-Edom so much? Oh, great. One day he'll have a book. He has multiple sermons. Um, okay, so Obed-Edom is a little-known character in the scriptures. Uh, I love him because I first you know, met him in high school, um, and so that has a special place in my heart. But I love him because he understood how to live in the presence of a holy God, and he changed the nation because of it. I love him because he's a perfect example of like every scripture points to the Lord. Like this man just like housed the presence of the Ark of the Covenant after David freaked out about bringing into Jerusalem. He's the one who has God in his house for three months. We don't really know what happened, but we know like the Ark of the Covenant, like Shekinah glory, like is in his living room. And I'm one of the people who thinks that the Obed-Edom who shows up in First Chronicles, same time period, is the same Obed-Edom. He has seven sons and one of his sons is named God with me. Amiel. And he ends up being a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. So in my mind, you know, not all scholars believe some people think it's a different Obed-Edom, but in my mind, I'm like this man, like he understood how to deal, like how to honor the presence of a holy God in a way that the rest of his generation didn't. They treated it like you could throw it on the back of a pickup truck. You could like bring it into your city to make your city more popular. He knew how to honor the presence of God. And because of that, the God of the universe blessed him. He made David and the rest of the nation jealous. It caused David to be a man of worship and honor of the Lord who stationed Levites like all of the time to minister to the presence of God. I think that happened because of Obed-Edom. And I think Obed-Edom was like, that's it. Sign me up. I can't go all the way in. I'm not a, like, I'm not the right like lineage to be all the way in the presence of God, but I'm going to get as close as I can. And all his sons do. And he is blessed by the Lord. He's like seven sons and all of them minister in the presence of God. So a little character named in a couple of verses, but I do love him. Well, thanks for the thanks for the shout outs and the history <laughs> lesson and and the encouragement. Yeah, to 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 raise a son who goes on who goes on to be a doorkeeper. Like what a what a success story, you know? That's yeah. great. Yeah. Encounter with the Lord that transcends generations and maybe imparting even something onto his kids to be like, this is a good thing. You know, kids, it's a good thing to like steward his presence and to be be near him. Yeah. So anyways, that's like a gem that's in the Bible that's there. So I hope some of this made sense. I know it's maybe, I I have trouble sometimes explaining how my brain works, but I hope it's an encouragement to anyone who's listening. 
uh, made sense to me. So hopefully Good. that everyone else is tracking as well. Or awesome. or they turned it off a long time ago. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. All right. Well, thank you so much, Susie. Really appreciate it. Uh, we'd love to talk to you again next year, maybe uh, for a third, a third time sometime in the future. And I'm going to have a link in the show notes, but make sure everyone does check out the Every Scripture podcast. They're little, what are they, like kind of 10 minute chunks? Yeah, 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, they're they're short, they're succinct. It's kind of like that, like a little deep dive into one thing. You know, I, I really enjoyed the one about the the Nazarene, the Nazir, and yeah. just kind of like taking a verse that we kind of know, and then you just kind of drill into it. And uh, I, I really, yeah. It, again, links in the show notes, but do the flavor and subscribe to that. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Susie. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. Uh, I hope that this conversation helps you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's Word. Uh, Before I go, just want to invite you to join in with our Facebook community. If you're looking for it, it's facebook.com slash groups slash expositors collective. We're on the cusp of uh, 400 members, and it's a great place to turn this listening experience into an actual group conversation. So I hope to see you there. And have a great week. God bless.